BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. My op-ed today is uh, kind of a recap of my interview with Newt Gingrich earlier in the week, uh, where, uh, you know, and it's titled, uh, Breaking Now, the Tragic Plight of the Children of Wealthy People Exposed. You know, where I basically said, Newt, it's terrible to give people free money, right? So that they don't have to work, so that they can just kind of goof off for the whole rest of their lives. This is why you guys oppose welfare and things like that. And he was like, yeah, you know, Franklin Roosevelt said you should give people a job, not welfare. And we don't want to create permanent dependency. And so then I said, well, then why don't we tax rich people or at least tax the money when they die, tax the money, the unearned income that falls into the lap of their children. And at that point, he was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> and I'm like, no, you're saying that giving, giving kids free money makes them crazy and lazy. Shouldn't we be protecting these wealthy children or the children of wealthy people? There's an actual real issue here. And it's, one, it's the one that I brought up with Jennifer uh, Stefano. And that is the difference between what we all agree to as a society are the foundational things that we provide people versus what is welfare? What do we do to catch people when they fall through the cracks? There, there is no disagreement on the foundational stuff that government should provide roads so that, for transportation so that we can go visit you know, grandma. Government should provide fire departments in case your house catches on fire. Government should provide police services. Government should provide public schools. There, these are non-controversial positions. I realize there's some right-wing crackpots who don't want public schools. There are other right-wing crackpots like, you know, Rand Paul who think the fire department should be privatized. But they are so far out on the fringe. So we agree that there are these core things that government does. In other countries, if you look at, I mean, just Google sometime, the 10, um, the, the, the 10 countries with the best quality of life. I put a link to one of them in my op-ed today at HartmanReport.com. And, you know, the United States doesn't appear on that list. There's multiple 10 best countries lists out there. Some, you know, the best countries to retire in, the best countries to live in, the best countries for quality of life, the happiest people. Multiple studies, multiple lists. None of them have the United States in the top 10. Because every other country says, well, in addition to providing roads and police and fire, and public schools, you should be providing college education, you should be providing health care, 
and you should be providing paid family leave and sick time. And, you know, Republicans are all like, oh, we can't do that. You're going to have to raise taxes on rich people if we're going to do that. And yeah, I'm fine with that. And, you know, the, the estate tax now, which is, uh, you know, is Frank Luntz was hired by uh, the story is the Walton family. I, I was looking around this morning to, con, to confirm that and I couldn't find it. But, uh, you know, Frank Luntz is taking credit for it in any cases. Uh, this, this phrase death tax, but the estate tax has nothing to do with death other than the fact that it kicks in when a large pile of money is transferred from a person who typically has died, but not always. Uh, when a large chunk of money is transferred from a very wealthy person into the hands of a relative who did nothing to earn that money. This is unearned income. Unearned income should be taxed. It should be taxed at least as enthusiastically as all the other forms of income, you know, the, the, the income that we work for. And on top of that, we should be using it to provide, you know, the basic services of our country, including, in my opinion, uh, paid time, you know, paid family leave and things like that. So right now, there are four weeks of paid family leave in the Build Back Better legislation that Congress is supposed to vote on next week. And Joe Manchin is already making noises about, <laughs> Meanwhile, over at Fox News, this uh, Media Matters, just if you just go to MediaMatters.org and just look at the headlines, they're, they're just a, a shocking, shocking stuff going on. New poll shows a vicious cycle of COVID-19 misinformation, and Fox News is part of it. This is a new Kaiser Family Foundation poll. Uh, they found that the Republican, uh, Republican voters' number one most trusted source of information is Fox News. And there is a strong correlation between trusting Fox News and believing one or more pieces of COVID-19 misinformation. They also found a whopping 84% of the Republicans either believe or are unsure about whether the government has exaggerated the number of COVID deaths. This goes back to Fox back when Trump was president saying, oh, not that many people are dying. And, and it's just, you know, people are dying of comorbidity. All right. Fox has undermined vaccines nearly every day in the past six months. From April through September, Fox aired at least one claim undermining the vaccination efforts on all but two days. Again, Media Matters uh, laying this out and documenting it. It's pretty shocking. Fox personalities trying to distance, distance themselves from Fox's vaccine mandate. In fact, they've got a shareholder meeting coming up this week in, or this month in Los Angeles. It's going to require vaccine passports and masks. But on the air, their personalities are saying, oh, we don't have a mandate here. We have a policy, right? At Fox News, if you're not vaccinated, you have to be tested not once a week, every single day. Okay, so there's that. And then finally, why is it that the jury in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial is not being shown, for example, the picture of him after he murdered two people, standing with a proud boy, flashing the white power salute? Why is that? Why, why are these things? This guy was on a mission. He came from another state and brought a gun with him. And the, and the prosecution is arguing you know, that this against self-defense. Why are they not arguing that this guy is a terrorist, a racially motivated terrorist? What am I missing here? Ian in Sixton, Missouri. Hey, Ian, I see you wanted to talk about Max Cleland. Max Cleland was my senator when I lived in Georgia 
he was a good guy and he was trashed by, I believe it was Sonny Perdue ran against him and, and claimed that he was not a patriot. In fact, they had an ad where... Saxby Shambliss. Saxby Shambliss, thank you. Yeah, they, they had this ad where they morphed Bin Laden's face onto or, or in split screen or whatever with Max Cleland. It was, it was just a crime. Anyhow, Ian, let me let you do the rant rather than me. Go for it. Yeah, I, I was reading the paper and I seen that in there. I didn't see anything on the national news about it. You know, there was nothing on about, the national about news the, about the about the fact that uh, Max Cleland had been slandered by Saxby's. Well, no, that he'd even passed away that I could see. Oh, you know, this is a I'm a small town in southeast Missouri. Yeah. And we got a small paper, but it was in there. Yeah. And I was in Georgia. I voted for Jimmy Carter. I was in Georgia at that time. I worked there my whole life and retired and moved back to Missouri. And uh, when that happened, you know, I, it just blew my mind that they, that he would go to such extent just to win a race. And he won the race, too. Yeah, yeah, he won yeah. the race. Yeah, he won it. Yeah. yeah. It would just, you know, and it's all that stuff comes back to me when I see somebody's name. And then what's all going on today? Yeah. And for people. Like yep. And for people who don't know what we're talking lies. about, Ian, Max Cleland lost three limbs. He lost both arms and a leg in Vietnam. And then a Republican accused him of supporting terrorism, and that's how he got kicked out of the Senate or got replaced in the Senate. You know, um, that reminds you of Trump talking about McCain, you know. Yeah, Trump, Mr. Bone Spurs, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. with you. Yeah. Okay, Ian, thank you very much for that. Very well said. Steve in Phoenix, Arizona. Hey, Steve, what's up? Hey there, Tom. Uh, what I was going to say was. Uh, we need this family paid family leave here. It's, it's extremely important. Mansion and Cinema not wanting to go forward. Well, we don't know I about think, Cinema. You know, it's Joe know. Manchin who's kind of single-handedly opposing those. Okay, they both have their own agenda for different <laughs> causes. Do, yes. But um, we both we know they're both on the dole from you know um, different industries, pharmaceutical yep. and oil, you know, yep. respectively. And I, I also feel that uh, it's possibly the Republicans might be feathering their nest, too. And if not, uh, you know, I think they are. And I think uh, uh, McConnell's telling them, just, just don't do anything. Just stay, stay Democrats, muck things up, and it makes Joe look bad. That's my, that's my feeling, and I hope they prove me wrong. But I've got a personal story here I'd like to tell you here sure. about uh, why we need this family leave. Back in 95, my mom developed cancer for the second time. And uh, I had to go back to Wisconsin on my own dime, lose pay for two different sets of occasions in March and also in May, and she finally passed away into May. And, you know, I, I didn't, at least thanks to Bill Clinton, I was able to keep my job but get, get off, but I was not paid, you know. Mm. It didn't go far enough. So I've got all my, I've got my home payment here. Thankfully, my wife was working, and, and that helped, but it's, I'm still lack of stuff. And also, by the way, my mom didn't have health insurance in 1962 when she got her original cancer. My dad dropped the policy. So she had a $20,000 hospital bill, and a, you know, and a home was 20000 back then. Yeah. So she paid that off about six months before she died. Wow. So not only do we need Medicare for all, we need paid family leave because, you know, every, everybody has a situation and it comes up and the poor people are the ones who always hit the hardest. Yeah. That's about yeah. what I got to say, Tom. I'm with you, Steve. Thank you. Thank you for uh, sharing Thanks. your story. That was a good one. Mike in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hey, Mike, what's up? Hey, guys. Good afternoon. I kind of disagree with what you guys are saying about Rittenhouse. The gun wasn't purchased 
in Illinois. It was purchased in Wisconsin illegally, I believe, and it was stored in Wisconsin. So he didn't bring the gun across state lines. That's why he didn't get charged with that crime. And, you sure about and that? I don't, because I've, yeah, I have I have repeatedly heard that he he brought that gun with him and. Um, no, he I mean, had his he had his friend who lived in Wisconsin purchase the gun because uh, he was not old enough. Okay, and his friend had the gun he brought it, so that's why he, he did not carry. So he crossed gun. state lines, but the gun did. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Correct. So distinction without a difference. I don't know. All but, right. Uh, I think also I, I think we're just reading. I think we read too much into this. I think we have an idiot, seventeen-year-old kid, and I think we have a bunch of, uh, you know. I don't want to call them hoodlums, but idiots that tried to attack a 17-year-old kid who happened to have a gun, and I think all of them are idiots. Well, I think you've got a you've got a racist 17-year-old kid who thought that he was going to. I mean, this this was not the George Floyd protest. This was the prote- protest after another black man had been killed in in Kenosha. Yeah, I don't. And, and I don't just, think he was racist. I think he was idiot. Oh well, then why is he flashing the white power sign when he's hanging out with the white, with the Proud Boys after he killed the two people? Well, I don't know what, what white sign you're talking about. I don't well, know. I, you know, I, I go to uh, the, probably, let's see, I, I'm pretty sure it's over at democraticunderground.com right now. You can actually see the picture. You know, it's, it's, it's right there. Aida in Stars, Connecticut. Hey, Aida, what's up? Am I saying your name right? Hi, Tom. Yeah, you got it. Yep, it's Aida. Thank you, Tom, for taking my call. Sure. Can you hear me fine? Yeah, <laughs> just fine. Yeah. So, yeah, basically you made all the points while I was waiting about the judge. Um, but more so, um, I want to just add that they're controlling the narrative. And like you said, the consequence um, of this charade that they're putting on um, is basically a happy far right, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so a g- a trigger moment, happy far right. Oh, yeah, unfortunately, right? And um, I think it's another moment, I mean, whatever this result of this trial is, it's another moment that will, um, you know, bring about kind of a revolution in the thought of, um, uh, you know, the next America, in a sense, because um, just this, as you said, they, they're trigger happy and they're, um, you know, gung-ho, I guess, and, and uh, they want this to happen, but I feel like... Um, uh, they, they are controlling the narrative in that trial, um, trying to make him look like they're giving him like a thousand excuses, this white boy. And then even a caller just now that you had, he's, he's like making excuses for the boy. Right. But this this doesn't happen like uh, for a black boy, you know, mm-hmm. and this is going to I feel like this should be amplified in the media. Like, why are we why do we keep making excuses for white people who are terrorists? Yeah. Um, so, and, and I'm a Muslim, and I'm a white, um, I look white, and my husband looks white, but we, you know, we're always labeled as, you know, kind of outsider or the other. And I see this now, um, this narrative is being, it just always sneaks in, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, that's just kind of a, yeah. uh, one point I wanted to make. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for the call, and your points are all uh, brilliant, spot on. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. This is the Tom Hartman Program. For the Tom Hartman Book Club today, we're reading from Biased, Uncovering the Hidden Prejudice that Shapes What We See, Think, and Do by Jennifer L. Eberhardt, Ph.D. This is from the introduction. She starts out by talking about how she's giving a talk to a group of police officers and chiefs of police 
about bias, and they're all sitting in stone face, cold, you know, kind of glaring at her. And she continues, eventually I stopped with the lessons and the data graphs and the images and the jokes and the movie clips, none of which were working. She was getting no response from the audience. And she says, I decided to veer off my usual script and share a personal story. I explained that some years ago, my son Everett and I were on a plane. He was five years old, wide-eyed, and trying to take it all in. He looked around and saw a black passenger. He said, hey, that guy looks like Daddy. I looked at the man, and truth be told, he did not look anything like Daddy, not in any way. I looked around for anyone else Everett might be referring to, but there was only one black man on the plane. I couldn't help but be struck by the irony, the race researcher having to explain to her own black child that not all black people look alike. But then I paused and thought about the fact that Kids see the world differently from adults. Maybe Everett was seeing something that I missed. I decided to take another look. I checked the guy's height. No resemblance there. He was several inches shorter than my husband. I studied his face. There was nothing in his features that looked familiar. I looked at his skin color. No similarity there either. Then I took a look at his hair. This man had dreadlocks flowing down his back, and Everett's father is bald. I gathered my thoughts and turned to my son, prepared to lecture him in the way I might inform an unobservant student in my class. But before I could begin, he looked up at me and said, I hope that man doesn't rob the plane. Maybe I didn't get that right. What did you say, I asked him, wishing I had not heard what I had heard. And he said it again, as innocently and as sweetly as you can imagine from a bright-eyed boy trying to understand the world. I hope he doesn't rob the plane. I was on the brink of being upset. Why would you say that, I asked as gently as I could. You know, Daddy wouldn't rob a plane. Yes, he said, I know. Well, why did you say that? This time my voice dropped an octave and turned sharp. Everett looked up at me with a really sad face and said very solemnly, I don't know why I said that. I don't know why I was thinking that. Just telling that story reminded me of how much that moment hurt. I took a deep breath, and when I looked back out at the crowd in the auditorium, I saw that the expressions had softened. Their eyes had changed. They were no longer uniformed police officers, and I was no longer a university researcher. We were parents unable to protect our children from a world that is often bewildering and frightening, a world that influences them so profoundly, so insidiously, and so unconsciously that they and we don't know why we think the way we do. With a heavy heart, I continued with my point. We are living with such severe racial stratification that even a five-year-old can tell us what's supposed to happen next. Even with no malice, even with no hatred, the Black Crime Association made its way into the mind of my five-year-old son, into all of our children, into all of us. I finished the training and invited the audience to come up to ask questions or share their stories. I'd been warned that no one would, but one officer did stay behind in the empty auditorium. As he approached the stage, I stepped down to meet him. Your story about your son on the plane reminded me of an experience I had on the street. It's something I haven't thought about in a long time, the officer said. I was out one day working undercover, the officer said, and I saw a guy at a distance who didn't look right. This guy looked similar to me, you know, black, same build, same height. But this guy had a scruffy beard, unkempt hair, ripped clothes, and he looked like he was up to no good. The guy began approaching me, and as he was getting closer, I had a feeling that he had a gun on him. Something's off with this guy, I thought. This dude ain't right. So the guy is coming down a hill near the front of a nice office building, one of those big office towers with glass walls. And as the guy's approaching, I couldn't shake the feeling that he was armed and dangerous. As I got closer to the building, I lost him for a second, and I began to feel panicked. Suddenly, I see the guy again, but this time he's inside the office building. I can see the guy clearly through the glass wall. He's walking inside the building in the same direction and at the same pace I was walking. Something was wrong. 
When I quickened my pace, I could see him quicken his pace. And finally, I decided to stop abruptly, turn, and confront the guy. He stops too, and I look him face to face, the officer said to me. And when I looked in his eyes, a shock went through me. I realized that I was staring at myself. I was the person I feared. I was staring at my own reflection through the mirrored wall. That entire time, I was tailing myself. I was profiling myself. The stories kept coming. At every single session, someone came up and told me a story, stories that enriched my understanding not only of police community relations, but also of our human predicament. This book is an examination of implicit bias, what it is, where it comes from, how it affects us, and how we can address it. Implicit bias is not a new way of calling someone a racist. In fact, you don't have to be a racist at all to be influenced by it. Implicit bias is a kind of distorting lens that's a product of both the architecture of our brain and the disparity in our society. We all have ideas about race, even the most open-minded among us. Those ideas have the power to bias our perception, our attention, our memory, and our actions, all despite our conscious awareness or deliberate intentions. Our ideas about race are shaped by the stereotypes to which we're exposed on a daily basis. And one of the strongest stereotypes in American society associates blacks with criminality. And she continues, the book is biased by Jennifer L. Everhart, and it's great. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Lee in Los Angeles. Hey, Lee, it says here you're a lawyer and you wanted to weigh in on, on the Rittenhouse trial? Uh, yes, good morning. Um, I'll just clarify, I'm not a criminal lawyer, I'm just a lawyer who mm -hmm. follows these uh, situations. Um, i not seeing this going anywhere that people want it to see, meaning I am seeing this. He's going to get what he wants, which is he's going to get away with it. One of the reasons starts off with the fact of the charges being brought in these cases, they always want to go for the highest possible charge, which is intent. Intent is almost, it's so difficult to prove in homicide cases. And in this case, like with the police officers, it's subjective belief. Whether or not we like it, he put up a pretty 
justifiable belief that he felt his life was in you know threatened so already to prove homicide seems really hard this is the same thing that happened with that um gentleman in florida um yeah uh, who's protecting his house. The other one is the fact that we permit use of extremely dangerous weapons to protect private property. He supposedly was there to do nothing more than protect a dealership with an armed vehicle. He was a vigilante protecting private property. We allow that as a, a well, in Florida, places like that. We, we permit yeah, the, the that, old castle is, doctrine. Right, which is just ridiculous. So, again, he did technically, to some degree, have a legal right to be there. Um, it also goes to the fact that I will say the judge is completely biased, um, very obviously so. Uh, the prosecution, I'm not sure what role they played in this. Is in if they're really trying to bring charges or they're just frustrated that they have to do this charade. Um, I mean, there's just things going left and right. But as a lawyer, th- there's nothing You think the prosecution's trying to throw the case? I, I don't know. I just don't believe they they know something's wrong with this case. I think they know they're on a battle is the way I see these cases. The role that they played, I don't know. They brought the charges. What made them decide to bring the highest caliber of charges? I don't know. What made them put people on the stand on their, you know, on their argument that basically shot them in the foot? I don't know. Did they not expect that? Rittenhouse breaking down and causing that reaction. Again, I don't know because I'm a lawyer and I can tell you we do react as people as well as lawyers. So, uh, you know, there's there's bias in yeah. behavior. Yeah, yeah. I, I and watching Rittenhouse break down that was fascinating. There were there were no there was no water on his in his eyes. You know, it's it's like, wait a minute, is this a performance or or maybe maybe he's got a problem. He just doesn't produce tears. I don't know. But Lee, thank you for the call. Mike in uh, Falls, Pennsylvania. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom, I'm a Vietnam veteran. I was a gunner's mate from 67, 8, and 9 on a small river patrol boat. And uh, tough stuff, tough duty. Yeah, but uh, the question I would like to ask you, I heard this morning that the uh, ammunition for for his... uh, weapon was a hollow point and he used the ar-15 is that correct i don't know about the hollow point yeah it was an ar-15 well at, at any rate uh, i can't emphasize it enough that that weapon is not a weapon of self-defense it is totally a weapon of taking a human's life yeah it's a weapon because of war that round yes it comes out at such a velocity and the tum- when it hits soft tissue it tumbles, and it, it'll, for lack of a better word, if uh, or a better description, if it hits you in your right shoulder, it could come out your left toe. That's mm-hmm. how how destructive that that weapon is. Yeah. And uh, so I think that the prosecution should emphasize the fact that he wasn't there to defend anybody. He was there to kill people with that weapon. Well, that that's my point. You know, the, the, this kid crossed state lines to go. Uh, he said he was going to defend a auto body shop or a car shop or whatever it was, but I mean, who does that, right? <laughs> who, who, who does that? And this was a protest against a black man being killed by the police, and you know, uh, once again, and and uh, you know, white guy brings AR-15 to protest against police violence. Uh, surprise, how did he, surprise! How did how did he become proficient with that weapon? 
Well, I, that's I, another question. I'm, I'm not sure how much proficiency is required, you know, with a weapon like that. You basically Correct. point that's, and pull the trigger. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Mike, Mike thanks a lot for the call. Lisa in Trevor, Wisconsin. Hey, Lisa, what's on your mind today? Hi there. Thanks for taking my call. Um, sure. I just wanted to say in regards to, well, first of all, this is basically in my backyard because um, I live just a mile over the Wisconsin border, a mile from Antioch, and the whole thing makes me absolutely sick. Uh, I don't know if you remember the case back in 2019 where there was a pregnant woman who got into an argument with whoever, and she was shot and the fetus was killed, and she, not the shooter, was charged with manslaughter for putting herself in harm's way by having the argument with this other person. And here we have Kyle Rittenhouse, who, I could say, put himself in harm's way by attending this, this, um, you know, protest. And um, what scares me is that we've now got the uh, SCOTUS that is right now analyzing the case of the cities that prohibit carry, gun carry, Mm-hmm. And they're potentially going carry. to overturn that. Yeah. So I believe that we could be looking at many, many more cases of this nature because I think that there's a whole, you know, flock of people out there that would love to get involved like this. You know, for example, look at what they're doing with passing legislation where you can't find somebody guilty if they hit somebody that's in a street protesting. You know, right. this is just uh, an invitation to allow these guys to do more of this case. And if the SCOTUS does overturn, city's ability to do this um it's basically basically going to amount to last guy standing because he's going to be the one or he or she is going to be the one with the narrative and this is so dangerous i just cannot believe what's going on in this country so and and let's make it very clear lisa this is how countries fall to authoritarianism and fascism exactly exactly and that's where we're heading i i have no hope uh, at this point, I, I feel, unfortunately, very strongly that we are going to lose, um, you know, the House and or the Senate. And, um, you know, they're going to have the bit in their teeth and we're done. I'm actually looking for another country to move to because this scares the crap out of me. Um, they're, they, they've got the wind this in their sails right now. This is happening all over the world, Lisa. Yes. I mean, these, I know, these, this I right-wing know. movement is international. It is being encouraged by social media, and and a lot of the, the the stuff that's being fed into social media is coming out of other countries, out of authoritarian countries, countries that don't want democracy. Absolutely, to work. absolutely. And, I mean, you have somebody like Putin that's fueling a huge amount of this. I'm yep. certain. Oh yeah, no. Well, thank it's, you. It seems to be fairly clear. And my other concern, Lisa, yep. is that you know, if Rittenhouse walks, we're going to start seeing vigilantes out there shooting up protests left and right. It's, uh, it's that's what I'm saying. Stuff. That's what I'm saying. Especially yeah. if the, especially if the SCOTUS overturns the yeah. uh, the city's ability to uh, you know take away uh, to, to restrict uh, concealed weapons yeah I'm with you yep. Lisa thank you Absolutely. thank you very much Marty in Evergreen Park Illinois hey Marty what's up <laughs> Time. Well, I just try to chime in and, you know, kind of point out, like, I just want to know when we devolve to the point where we, like, can justify murder for people. Like, I just, I, I don't know when it became legal. I don't know why we insist on, you know, upholding the Second Amendment when, I mean, the NRA, in my opinion, is the National Racist Association, right? It is, it there, it's there you know, to uphold the Second Amendment, which was there to protect, you know, slave patrols, like you just mentioned. Um, but I just am so flabbergasted why we would even consider letting a person like Rittenhouse ever back into the general population. Um, 
you know, without him having served a substantial amount of time for the lives that he, for the victims that he killed. I mean, I just don't understand why the, you know, why anybody would want to defend, you know, what he did or find any, anything that is, that there was no self-defense there. You should have never been in that situation. And, um, and he, you know, needs to be held accountable for it or else we're going to see more and more of this kind of thing is what I'm thinking. This is this is my concern. I mean, you know, with with Mussolini, it was the black shirts, the, the volunteer uh, pseudo police, the paramilitary uh, with Pinochet. Uh, there was a name for them, a Spanish name. I'm sorry, I don't re recall it, but he had his own version of the brown shirts. Uh, they helped with the with the revolution with the, with the military coup in uh, what was it 1973 as i recall um and and uh and, and and of course hitler had his brown shirts you know which they were unpaid they were not part of the official government at least at first you know they they ultimately became the 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 sa but uh th these were paramilitary forces and that's what i think we're seeing here as we are seeing the growth all across the united states of paramilitaries who are existing within the law but on the edge of the law and they're really just picking up the place that the Ku Klux Klan used to hold. Um, you well, know. I just hope that they get a grip on this before the next election or else you know this you know things could go horribly wrong you know if uh, you know if, if they don't you know if we're not if we don't make Kyle Rittenhouse an example and and show that these kind of crimes are going to be punished you know to the fullest extent of the law then you don't know where the, these groups are going to organize and, you know, and it could be really intimidating, you know, going forward. If it's already true. They're allowed to flourish. It's already true, Marty. It's already true. Uh, it is. It's uh, part of the voter suppression effort. It, I mean, you know, when you think about it. Well, so, it's, a you know, it's a democracy suppression effort and, and you know, mess with democracy. And, and, you know, we saw the same thing here in Portland. And that's not to say that, you know, the, 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 the so-called anarchists on the left who are, you know, doing property destruction are, are basically baiting these people on the right. And on, on both sides of these um, battles is the wrong word, but, you know, I lack a better word. Uh, on both sides of them, we've got something that represents, in my opinion, a serious threat to, at the very least, law and order. Uh, and I mean that in the best possible, possible sense. And at the most, to society as a whole, to our democracy. Cool, right? I mean, when we have justified murder like going on, and we're like arguing about semantics, and you know, the elephant in the room is like, you know, you just killed somebody. So, right. you know, I think that uh, you know we got a lot of work to do. I'm with you, Marty. Thank you. Thanks for the call, and thanks for watching us on YouTube. Back with more of your calls in just a moment. Jason in Sinsbury, Connecticut, you wanted to go back to the uh, debate that we were having about maternity leave or paid family yep. leave, let's call it. Yep, exactly, Tom. My wife was pregnant and she accepted a new job. We relocated to a different state. They informed her that they were hiring her under the terms that they knew she was pregnant and they would only afford her one week of maternity leave. I was going to be a stay-at-home dad. And so we accepted this terms um, because we knew we would have somebody at home to provide for our child. She went into labor nine weeks early and was in the hospital for a full week trying to delay the pregnancy of our son. 
as that is when they started the clock for her maternity time. She ended up having her, she went into labor on Monday. She had our son on Friday. He was born nine weeks premature. He spent five and a half weeks in the NICU in the incubator. She was back at work on Wednesday after having our child on Friday. Wow. And this is the problem. That should not be in America. You would think. Yeah. You would think. And, you know, they were looks that she got in the office of how in the world can somebody be coming here? But she was in management. And this is the direction that she was receiving from her superiors. And so just the sheer fact, I mean, you know, she looked like a war hero to her underlings. But, you know, this doesn't need to be the case. Yeah. I mean, it, it, we, we have part. we have as a society here in the United States of America, we have put the interests of business ahead of the interests of people. And, and you know, business, I'm, I'm all in favor of business. I've been a business person my whole entire life. But business should be subordinate to society. We, you know, as a society, as a country, we set up the rules of the game of capitalism so that capitalism can help us all, not so it can exploit us all. I mean, it's a fundamental misunderstanding uh, on the right, in, frankly, in, in my opinion, of exactly why we, why we do things like paid family leave. Jason, thank you for well, that story. And the bright wants us to be these these worker soldiers. How can you go and do your job when your newborn kid is hooked up to sixty-seven wires trying to get his lungs function? Yeah, no, I'm I'm I'm, that's my point. Yeah, I'm completely with you, Jason. I'm glad you guys made it through. I'm glad your son made it through, and uh, you know we need to clean this up. Thank you very much for the call, Holly in Marshall, Missouri. Hey, Holly, what's on your mind? Hello, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. I called about the. Child. Child and family I'm leave. Sorry, I'm or, very nervous. Yeah, the family yeah. leave thing. Yeah. I've, had, I've had some discussions with people here. I live in Missouri, and uh, and they're very opposed to giving low-income women money, saying they're lazy, and then saying, well, they shouldn't have children. These people shouldn't have children. So I said, then, I suppose you're for abortion rights. Oh, no, no, no. No, we're pro-life. We don't believe right. in They shouldn't in have death. children, and they shouldn't have sex. And they shouldn't have sex, and, and they closed the par- Planned Parenthood. There's only one left where women have to undergo all of these atrocious uh, examinations and, and stay two days and, on, and all of that, and it's very hard on them to even get there, and I'm not even sure they still do abortions. And the other thing I just wanted to let you know is that Amy Vanderpool is covering this trial very well, this mm-hmm. Rittenhouse trial, and putting it all on Twitter. And that's where I, when the thing that upset me was that the judge would not let the prosecutor use the word victim right. to, for the dead people. Right. He, so, they had to be called arsonists or looters, as I recall. Or words yeah. to that effect, which is which yeah. Is, he, and then he was even reading. Uh, uh, it looked like the funny pages, but uh, yeah. while they were trying this guy, he, he yeah. and then uh, well, so anyway, yeah. the, the yeah. real problem with the judge. Yeah, I'm 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 with you, Holly. Thank you very much for the call, Mark in Portland. Hey, Mark, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. I was just wondering if there is some kind of a first. First of all, I'm wondering is this judge was he appointed or was he elected? <clears throat> I don't know how they I'm, do it in Wisconsin. And then I'm wondering if there's a judicial malfeasance review board or some type of review board for judges. There are, and it's. I, I, but I haven't seen him do anything that I think is, you know, going to get him hauled up before that kind of a oversight. Well, he's clearly showed evidence of partisanship. 
toward the defendant. I mean, that's that's been clearly documented. I mean, we can really see that in, in how his action, actions were against the prosecutor. Well, I, uh, which shows I'm not sure that some- that kind of bias... Again, this is a question for a lawyer. I, you know, I never went to law school, so I don't know. But my understanding is that judges have huge latitude. I mean, they can be just totally opinionated fools, or you know, asses, or they, or they can, you know, be good people by the book. And it's, there's this whole spectrum. It just seems like he really crossed the line. I mean, I think a lot of people agree that he crossed the line. You mean when he said um, you couldn't refer to the people as victims and that kind of stuff? That and then he wasn't allowing, uh, you know, other types of evidence like showing, you know, showing the, the, the possible uh, credibility of, of the of the uh, of Kyle Rittenhouse. You know, even even the pictures of him with the Proud Boys uh, and, the, and showing the white power symbol and everything else. I mean, that that, that gives uh, that gives some type of evidence to the character of the of the defendant. And I think that should that should have been allowed. I mean, uh, whether or not uh, that that could potentially be part of his motivation. I think if, I mean, if, if, that, if that photo had preceded the killing or immediately followed it, which was what I believed to be the case until uh, about a half hour ago when somebody corrected me on Twitter and I read the article, the Vanity Fair article that, that laid out that it was months later. I think it, had it been uh, you know, within that time frame, yes. If it happened a couple of months later, well, hey, you know, he's now the, he's now the hero of the Proud Boys and they're going to take a picture with him and he's going to do the white power symbol. Um, that doesn't mean that he was thinking that way when he showed up there. And the whole thing of murder has to do with state of mind. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I could see your point on that. Um, I just wanted to leave you with one a short quote by Abraham Lincoln. Go for and, it. And uh, you may have this, but it says, labor is, to, labor is prior to and independent of capital. Capital is only the fruit of labor. It could never have existed if labor had not first existed, labor is superior to capital and deserves much higher the, the consideration. Yeah, I think that's one of the finest things that Lincoln ever said. I love that quote. Uh, Mark, thank you very much. Thanks for the call. And, uh, and thanks for listening to us. We'll be right back. Stick around. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And uh, welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you, David, in Spotswood, New Jersey. Hey, David, what's on your mind? Hey, um, you know, I, I attend poor, the Poor People's Campaign rallies, and uh, the Rittenhouse uh, case as it's folding concerns me. And I'd like to say, I, I think, to, you know, if in the next, I'm concerned also in the, in the next two election cycles that the Republicans are going to win because people are very concerned about inflation, and the Democrats aren't standing up to what the truth is. And the truth is, a lot of companies went under during the pandemic, and corporate power has increased since the pandemic. 
It's increased from 5% to 12%, according to the Federal Reserve. Uh, Competition has decreased, in other words, which, yes. which leads to in, increases in pricing. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah but they're not they're, the mainstream media. Yeah, thank you, by the way. The mainstream media isn't pointing that out. Right. And I think the Democrats could win by, by rehashing the antitrust policies that they used to have before Reaganism. Yeah, um, I, I don't know if it's a good political strategy or not, but it would be a good thing for our country. It would be a good thing for our economy and a good thing for our democracy. So, David, are you uh, uh, suggesting that if Rittenhouse walks, that, that you think that that uh, you're agreeing with Nicholas from San Cristobal, Mexico, basically, that 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 is uh, or maybe even the way this trial is being conducted is really just a signal to anybody who might think about protesting against police or government violence not to do so in anticipation of a time when we become a fully authoritarian country? Yes, and I mean, I, as it is, I feel uncomfortable when I t attend those rallies. There's always police there, which is, I think is absurd. Well, you might think it's absurd until the, until the written houses of the world show up with the AR-15s. Right, right, but I'm saying that um, the, the police, when I show up, the police don't look too happy. Um, you, you don't look like they're, uh, that they're in solidarity with us. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't feel a sense of solidarity. And, and uh, you know, yeah, I get them. I, I, my uncomfortableness is going to definitely be increased. Is definitely going to increase. Yeah, so, in other words, this has already had a chilling effect from your point of view and uh, as far as you're concerned. David, thank you. Yes. Thank, thanks for sharing that with us. Annie in Sugar Grove, North Carolina. Annie, what's on your mind today? Well, it's the Rittenhouse case, mm -hmm. and I heard on Democracy Now!, you know, Ellie Mistal. I think you've yeah. had him on your show. Yeah, we have. He's a good uh, guy. I heard that, yeah, he's a really good guy. Um, I need to rewatch the show when it comes on later on yeah. Free Speech TV. I caught the very end of his interview with Amy Goodman, and he said this prosecutor that's prosecuting the case, he's the same prosecutor that didn't press charges against the cop that shot Jacob. I don't remember his, if that's his first name, his last name. Jacob mm -hmm. is in his name. Right. He's paralyzed. He's not dead. He's partially paralyzed. And was that the shooting that, so, that provoked the, the so-called riot that Rittenhouse showed up for? Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. In Kenosha. Right. Yeah. Right. Jacob, such and such, um, he was trying to get in his car. He was walking away from the cops, and they shot him seven times in the back. Right. And he's partially paralyzed. Um, but, yeah, that prosecutor that's prosecuting the Rittenhouse case, he did not bring charges against the police officer that shot. So you think he's throwing the case? Man. Well, I want to piggyback up on that call the woman made oh, roughly a half hour ago or something like that. She thinks that this is just a show trial, that oh, we're really trying to do this and make it look like, you know, justice. But So once I heard that comment from that woman, and then I had the, the memory of uh, what Ellie Mustaf said this morning, I thought, oh, my goodness. And that judge, is he's 75 years old. He should have retired a while back. <laughs> well, he let's... doesn't even know what an iPad is. He was having yeah. trouble with, like, when you spread, you know, on your, on your iPad or your phone, you spread a photo so you can zoom in. Uh, he didn't want that ability. And, uh, but he does know how to put the Trump the... theme song on his, uh, on his iPhone as his oh, ringtone. Right. Good point, Tom. Good point. <laughs> I mean, you know, he, he can't be completely either that or he's got, you know, a 17-year-old exactly. in his family but who does it for him. But Yeah, they were trying to explain to him that it's just, and he's like, I don't know, it's 
anyway, it scares me, too. And and, uh, I'm close to your age, and I've never seen our country. Here in North Carolina, um, there's a bunch of Trump people with the F. Biden flag. A couple of them have those. Yeah. And then they do this. um, They peel rubber and run stop signs and peel rubber through intersections and in parking lots and stuff. And the cops do nothing. They're all white. They do nothing. It's it's. (laughs) <laughs> it's, you know, impotent men trying to proclaim their potency, I think, is, is an awful lot of what's going on. Annie, thank you very much for the call. Um, we, sh- we should revise the small penis gun club. Marty in uh, Idaho Falls, Idaho. Hey, Marty, what's up? Man, I'm, I'm glad to hear from you, Tom, but I kind of agree with you. But on the case when he was at the gas station and he had that phone call from his buddy, then why didn't he call the guy that he got lost with in the gas station? That's one point. And yeah. then when he ran up to where he was supposed to be at and the guy was on the other side of the truck and he had a fire extinguisher and he got spooked, looked like he got spooked and dropped it. If the guy wanted to kill him, why didn't he kill him right then? I don't know. You know, Marty, because this trial is on at the same time my show is on, I have not been able to watch it and follow it. So, uh, you know, at that level of granular detail, I'm I'm not that well informed, which is why I'm largely having to keep to to some of the larger principles here. But, uh, you know, so I don't know the answer to your question. Gary in Alpharetta, Georgia. Hey, Gary, what's up? Hello, Tom Harbin. Thank you. Greed has no heart. It's America's greatest challenge. Okay. It's America's greatest challenge. It encompasses all our all our realistic endeavors in in life. Now, I call just for two things uh, about the rule of law. We, in my opinion, we are at the defining moment. At least since I since I've been living since Watergate, the defining the rule of law. We let this narcissist get away with this. Not providing records. He's not president. He thinks he's king, yet he's not king. And the analogy to me is, you talk about this virus has, has, has killed so many people across the world, let alone in America. I think there's a correlation here. It, it's killed people. Well, if we, if we don't get a hold of this, if we don't take a stand about this rule of law, now, the defining moment in American history, again, after Watergate, it's going to kill even more of our democracy moving forward. We won't have a republic as we know it. Yeah. Gary, here's, here's, here's my concern. I think it's, it's running parallel to yours. I, you know, I, back in the 80s and 90s, I did international relief work all around the world. And I, I was right. in countries where people were dying around me and where death was a fairly common thing. I was in Uganda during a massive famine. Um, I was in Colombia. We uh, Buildings were literally blown up within six blocks of where I was staying. Three different buildings went up. Um, I was mm-hmm. in, in Peru when the Shiny Path was doing their stuff. And what I've, what I've noticed is that, is that life becomes less valuable. When a lot of people start dying, there's, there, there becomes this kind of sense that permeates society like, okay, this is the new normal and human life is not as important. Human life is not as valuable. 
and and yeah, if somebody gets killed, you know, they shouldn't have been there or whatever. You know, you start coming up with excuses and things. And I think that having a coronavirus kill 750,000 of us, at least according to Deborah Burks, 130,000 of us who died were absolutely unnecessary. They were we died. Uh, those people died as a consequence much. of Donald Trump saying, well, American life right. is not so valuable, is that I think that our society is rapidly moving in the direction of the societies that I saw in Colombia and Peru and Uganda and in other countries, uh, frankly, where life simply didn't have the value that it once had. And, and, and that leads to really, really bad stuff. I mean, that, that leads to, to government overreach, that leads to neo-fascism. Yeah, um, it, it just it's it's terrible, and and I'm I'm getting lost, that sense. We've lost our purpose. Well, I think you know, yeah, I, I think that's a, a, a predicate to the whole thing. Absolutely, Gary, thank you for the call. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Let's see here, Trat in Lakeland, Florida. Hey, Trat, what's up? Thanks for watching Free Speech. Hey, Tom, thanks for having me. I appreciate you taking my call. Sure. Just wanted to uh, make you know make make a few points in the in the Rittenhouse case. Uh, mental illness and drug abuse needs to be addressed somewhere along the line, because I believe um, the, the the first guy that Rittenhouse shot had to be crazy or on drugs to rush a man holding an AR-15. Whether he was legal to carry it, he definitely was not, and he definitely is guilty, I agree with you, of uh, being a, a minor in possession of a firearm illegally. You know, murder, no, that's clearly self-defense. That He had been beaten in the head with a skateboard, kicked in his face, attacked by a mob, and anyone that is not insane would 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 have defended their life in that situation so that's, which raises that's, that's, the question then then trat why is the prosecution prosecuting him for murder when you know it appears that it was self-defense rather than prosecuting him for showing up at a riot with an ar-15 i would say it, it, it's more than likely political and that that would be that would be my, well, my that takes us back to, uh, to Nicholas's neighbor, you know, who's a former Connecticut judge saying that what the what the defense or what the prosecution and the judge in this case are trying to do is say to the rest of America, uh, you know, uh, be careful when you protest because, well, you know, we're going to let people kill you. I, 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 I agree with what you're saying. Be careful when you protest. There's always going to be a level of danger. And when you start attacking people holding assault rifles, you're putting yourself at grave danger. We um, had here in Portland, Trat, we had a guy who was, uh, who was attacked by, uh, this was a left winger, actually an anarchist, whatever you want to call it, who was attacked by a right winger at a protest here. 
and in response to that attack, he shot the, the right winger. He then fled, and when the police found him, they put like 18 bullets in him as he walked out to his car with a phone in his hand. Um, you know, it's, it's like they executed him because, you know, hey, he had killed a right winger, uh, or at least that's how it looks. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's like a completely different standard of justice, right? You kill a right winger, you get executed by the police. You, 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 you kill two left wingers, and you have a self-defense uh, option. Well, anytime you want to attack people that were clearly not posing a threat to you, whether he was holding an assault rifle or not holding an assault rifle, he was clearly... Trat, there's a fair... I believe there's a fair body of law that suggests that simply holding a gun represents a threat in the minds of many people. That's in the minds of many people, but that's not what the law says at this current time. Now, he was not allowed to hold that weapon. He's guilty of that, but he has the right to defend himself. The first rule of nature is self-preservation. Yeah. Uh, you know, we'll see how it shakes out. Trad, I, I understand what you're saying. And, you know, we'll, we will have to see how this shakes out. Thanks for the call. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is by Alan J. Lichtman, and it's titled Repeal the Second Amendment, The Case for a Safer America. This is from the introduction, uh, titled The Book That Must Be Written. On April 28, 1996, 28-year-old Martin Bryant stopped at an inn near his home of Newtown in Tasmania, Australia, and shot to death its two owners. He then drove to the former penal colony and tourist attraction of Port Arthur, where he lunched at a cafe. After eating, Brian pulled from his sports bag a semi-automatic rifle with a 30-round magazine that he had legally purchased through a newspaper ad. With no provocation, he began firing at patrons in the cafe and its gift shop. Before the police stopped his shooting spree, Brian had murdered 35 and wounded 18 others. His motive remains unknown. There were people everywhere, bodies, said witness Lynn Beavis. I thought at the time, being a nurse, I've seen dead people, I've seen blood, I've seen things like this, but what I saw in there, nobody but perhaps a soldier would know what that was like. The leadership of a shocked nation responded to the Port Arthur massacre, not with thoughts and prayers, but with decisive action. The country's conservative-led government rebuffed their gun lobby and its American ally, the NRA, to adopt comprehensive national gun controls. In a 2015 broadside labeled Australia, There Will Be Blood, the NRA charged that those regulations, which Australia significantly tightened as of 2002, have, quote, robbed Australians of their right to self-defense and empowered criminals. If the NRA was right, America, with its lax control over firearms for alleged self-defense, should be one of the world's safest countries, certainly far safer than Australia, where criminals presumably evade gun controls to prey on defenseless, law-abiding citizens. Yet in the latest reporting year, gun homicides claimed 14,542 American lives, compared to 27 in Australia. And all homicides took 19,510 American lives, compared to 222 in Australia. Since the NRA issued its warning, firearm homicides have declined in Australia, while soaring by 3,534 in the U.S. An American is now over 30 times more likely per capita than an Australian to be murdered by a gun, and seven times more likely to be murdered by any means. If we had rates comparable today to Australia's, some 14,000 American lives would have, would have been saved from firearm homicides 
in 2017 alone. By the gun lobby's twisted logic, Japan, which has one of the world's strictest gun control laws, should be drenched in innocent blood. Yet out of a population of 127 million, shooters in Japan murdered only three persons and injured only five in firearm assaults throughout 2017. Australia and Japan are not outliers. As compared to residents of our closest peer democracies in the G7 group of nations plus Australia, an American in 2017 was over 20 times more likely to die from a gun homicide. The gun lobby would have you forget that gun deaths are not limited to murders. In 2017, 23,854 Americans died from gun suicides, 64% more than were killed in hot firearm homicides. As compared to the peer nations, the 2017 per capita rate of firearm suicides in the United States was seven times higher, while the rate of suicides by other means was 40% lower. These other democracies all have strict firearm regulations. None has a constitutional right to keep or bear arms, a distinction the United States shares worldwide only with Guatemala, whose gun murder rate is the third highest of some 195 nations worldwide. Why has America lagged behind the democratic world in protecting its citizens from needless death and injury? The culprit is not spending by the NRA on campaigns and lobbying, which other pressure groups exceeded. The real problem is that which gun control advocates fear to name the Second Amendment. Led by the NRA, the gun lobby exploits a historically defective, perverse reinvention of this amendment to inspire their grassroots supporters, sell guns, and provide constitutional cover for their op opposition to making us safer by regulating firearms. The competing movement for gun control has floundered in response to the gun lobby's triumphant marketing of the Second Amendment. Gun control advocates have righteous zeal and noble motives, but lack a winning strategy. Instead of forthrightly refuting the lobby's bogus claims, the gun control movement has instead fallen into the trap of lamely insisting, we support the Second Amendment, but we also support responsible gun control. With such a self-defeating strategy, the movement can never win. It plays on the gun lobby's home turf and fails to rally the American majority that favors stricter firearms regulations. It provokes only scorn from a gun lobby that dismisses yes-but assurances as rank hypocrisy. And it ignores the clear history and the true meaning of the Second Amendment itself. The movement for gun control must strike hard with a new strategy. Repeal of the Second Amendment is not only right, but realistic. It would break open the political logjam and open a path for the comprehensive national gun control and safety measures that have eluded the American people for so long. None of these measures would confiscate firearms or stop Americans from using guns for hunting, sports shooting, antique collecting, or legitimate self-defense. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of the free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. These form the Second Amendment. Book Repeal the Second Amendment by Alan J. Lichtman. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.